Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The loving God, we give you thanks and praise for all the graces and blessings. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your mother to us as a sign, as a prophet, as a messenger to call us deeper into our faith. And we thank you for the graces and blessings that come with these messages. And in particular today, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of Lourdes. We thank you for the messages. And we thank you for the miracles that you have done and the graces that you have poured out on so many people. We praise you and we bless you, Lord, and we thank you. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Bernadette, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we want to look at Our Lady's apparitions at Lourdes. Lourdes, as many of you know, is a place in France. And Our Lady appeared there 18 times, beginning on February 11th, 1858, through to the 16th of July, 1858. Lourdes then was a small town of 4,000 inhabitants. And Bernadette Subaru who was a, a young girl, 14 years old. She had poor health. She suffered from chronic asthma. And she wasn't very well educated. They were collecting firewood with her sister and a friend. They crossed the river, but because of her chronic asthma and the river was icy cold, Bernadette hesitated to cross, so she didn't actually cross the river. Then she heard a noise like a gust of wind, though none of the trees were moving. And then she saw a beautiful lady dressed in white above the grotto. Now the grotto next to the river there was the place where the pigs used to gather. It was a pig shelter. And in the rock, there was like a cavity in the rock. And it was in this little cavity that Our Lady appeared. She was dressed in white, which is a sign of purity and a sign of love. Now, Our Lady didn't speak until the third apparition. But by this time, Bernadette had pen and paper ready to write down who she was because the parish priest had asked her to ask the lady for her name. But interesting, Mary said to her, What I have to say to you does not need to be written down. 
This is an interesting statement because it shows the kind of relationship that Mary wanted. She didn't want a legalistic one. She wanted a message from the level of the heart. And Mary said to Bernadette, Would you do me the kindness of coming here for 15 days? Now Bernadette was overwhelmed by that request from Our Lady because it was the first time that anyone had addressed her in a formal way. Bernadette describes the words by saying that the Virgin Mary looked at her, quote, as one person looks at another person, unquote. You know, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And Bernadette felt that she was respected and loved, even from the, the Virgin Mary who treated her as a person and not as some kind of servant. So we are all worthy of dignity in the eyes of God because each of us is made in the image and likeness of God and loved by God. Then in the third statement, a lady said to Bernadette, I do not promise to make you happy in this world, but in the next. And that certainly um, lived out in Bernadette's life, as we'll discover. So during the first seven apparitions, Bernadette, after each apparition, had her face radiant with joy, happiness and light. However, between the eighth and twelve apparitions, it all changed. Her face of Bernadette became sad and sorrowful. Moreover, Bernadette does things which, from an outsider looking on, seems to be quite bizarre. She moved on her knees to the back of the grotto and she kisses the dirty, disgusting ground. She eats bitter grass. She scrapes the ground three times, trying to drink the muddy water at the back of the grotto. And her face and hands are smeared with mud. And the crowd turns and looks at her and says, she's mad. But let's look at these actions and what they meant. These actions are biblical actions because Our Lady asked Bernadette what she was asking her for her really was in a sense to act out the incarnation, the passion and the death of Christ. So moving on her knees to the back of the grotto, this action recalls the incarnation. God lowers himself to become human and Bernadette kisses the ground showing us that this is an act of humility and is an action of the love of God that he has for his people. And when she eats the bitter grass, this recalls the Old Testament. This recalls the Old Testament, when God had taken on himself all the bitterness and sins of the world. They killed the lamb, cleaned it out, filled it with bitter herbs, you might recall, in the Passover, and then made the following prayer over the lamb. This is the Lamb of God who takes on himself all the bitterness and all the sins of the world. Smearing her face with mud, we recall the prophet Isaiah wanted to speak to us about the Messiah when he called the suffering servant. He carried on himself all our sins. His face no longer appeared human. He was, Isaiah specifies, like a lamb led to the slaughter. On his way, the crowd mocked him. So we see Bernadette in her actions is recalling to us 
the deeper message of Lourdes. The grotto was choked with grass and mud, and because it was the pig shelter, it was regarded as unclean. Yet Mary gave instructions to Bernadette to go to the spring, drink of it, and wash yourself there. This is an important message, this one. Go to the spring, drink of it, and wash yourself there. There was no spring there at the time. There was only a little muddy water to begin with, barely enough for Bernadette to drink. And this is when she put the water and the mud on her face, in a sense, to wash. But of course the water started to flow more and more. And this again is very biblical symbol because in the mystery of the heart of Jesus we recall at the cross that a soldier pierced Jesus' heart with a lance and there immediately flowed out blood and water. All these symbols, if you like, that Bernadette is playing out to the initial horror of everyone looking calls us to go to the deeper meaning. And the deeper meaning is that we are renewed in Christ and the message of Lewis is a call to conversion. Bernadette, when asked, did the lady say something to you? Bernadette replied, yes, now and then she would say, penance, 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 pray for sinners. By penance, we mean conversion. We have to convert, to turn our hearts back to God to find out what our true meaning is and what really makes us happy. Because in the end, we all learn sooner or later that sin does not make us happy. Bernadette then would wash in this spring and this water that started just as a little trickle started to flow more and more and more. The source of this water even today is unknown. Obviously it comes underground somewhere, but it's, it's not clear where it comes from. And the water is amazingly clean. If you go to Lourdes, you can take some of this famous water home with you. And if you put it in a jar, you can leave it on the shelf for years. And it does not get all the residue and scum that comes with most water if you got out of the tap. There's something very clean about that water. But of course, it's not the water itself, it's the power of Lourdes, it's the grace that's behind the symbol. This little stream that began back in 1858 now produces over 100,000 litres of water each week and has been doing that from that very day in 1858 until today. And of course, Lourdes has become known as a place for the sick. Our Lady asked for the people to come in procession and when you visit there each night during the summer months they have a big procession where they carry the statue of a lady around with the candles singing hymns it's a very moving experience if you've ever been there and during the summer months they get 70,000 people every day it's quite a big shrine even if it rains they have this huge underground basilica where they can all move to and still have a prayer and devotions out of the rain. So Lourdes has become famous as a place of healing and I personally believe that everyone who goes to Lourdes gets healed in some way and because the main message of Lourdes 
is conversion and healing of the spirit, most of the healings are of a spiritual nature, so therefore not really visible or certainly difficult to scientifically prove externally. But there are also many physical healings which can be scientifically proven. And this has been done looking at the records here, the official records of Lourdes that they keep there. By the end of 1998, there were some 6,772 declarations of cures in the archives at the Medical Bureau of Lourdes. And among those, 66 are declared as unexplained cures recognised by the Church. Now that's of 1998. Well, if you check the Lewis website, you see that as of October 2012, the 68th miracle has been recognised by the Church. That takes a while to recognise these miracles. That miracle actually occurred in 1965. So it took until 2012 to declare it the 68th miracle. The church never rushes these things, and it really has to be. They have quite a, a vigorous medical board that anyone claiming to have a physical cure has to be able to stand up to the investigations of this medical team. It's not done lightly, but at the same time, as I said, I believe, every, you ask anyone who goes to Lourdes, they'll tell you that in some way they were touched in the soul in some special way. So Bernadette then, after the apparitions were over, in 1866, at 22 years of age then, she entered the convent of the Sisters of Notre Dame at Nevers. She became a cloistered nun with this community and she lived there until she died in 1879 at 35 years of age. So she didn't live very long and most of her time she spent there, she actually spent in the infirmary. She was quite sick. So it did sort of follow what Our Lady said, that she could not promise that she would have happiness in this life, but she promised that she would in the next. And then in 1909, Bernadette's body was exhumed from her grave as part of her eventual canonization process, and it was found that the body was perfectly preserved. So her incorrupt body now lies in the chapel of the convent of St. Gillard at Nevers in France. And you can go there and it's open to the public for viewing. Uh, you go into the church there and you see her body under one of the side altars. It's in a glass case and it's beautifully preserved. Uh, it looks like she's sleeping. Bernadette's body is not at Lourdes itself, but in Nevers in France where it is with her order of nuns that she lived and died with. Now Bernadette was eventually beatified in 1925 by Pope Pius IX. Then in 1933 she was declared a saint on the 8th of December, which is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Mary's Immaculate Conception is linked strongly with Lewis, And when the apparitions were happening, the local priest kept asking, who is this woman that's appearing to you? Now, it sounded like the Blessed Virgin Mary, but because Our Lady never said who she was initially, I suppose the priest had certain justified reservations about whether 
Bernadette was seeing somebody from heaven or indeed some demonic spirit that might be fooling her. So the priest kept asking her, who is this woman, and ask her. And so Bernadette would ask Our Lady, and eventually Our Lady gave the answer. And she said to Bernadette, I am the Immaculate Conception. Now Bernadette was only 14 years old, didn't have much schooling, did not understand what that meant. Anyway, she went to the priest and she told the priest that Mary said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Now this really stunned the priest because it was only just four years earlier that the dogma of the Immaculate Conception was proclaimed by the Church. And there's no way Bernadette would have understood or knew anything about that. So when the priest heard this, he was taken aback. And at that point, he started to believe. Let's just go back and have a look at those main messages. First of all, a call to repentance. Penance, penance, penance. Pray for sinners. So we need to pray for sinners. And in praying for sinners, we're praying for ourselves because we're all sinners. And we're praying for everybody else. In the ninth apparition, when Our Lady asked Bernadette to go to the spring, drink of it, and wash yourself there. So this is what pilgrims do today. They come to the spring. It's no longer filled with mud. It flows freely. They have taps in that go down into the spring. And you can fill up and you can wash in the water and drink of yourself. So again, it's a sign of a conversion. It's an outward sign of an inner reality of what we're expressing to do. Now in the 13th apparition, Our Lady said to Bernadette, Go and tell the priests to come here in procession and build a chapel here. That's why every night, especially in the summer months, when the shrine is officially open, the shrine is open all year round, but there's very few activities in the winter because it's a very cold place there, so not many people visit in the winter months. But in the summer months, there's 70,000 people there every night, and they come in procession. And the whole idea of carrying Mary shoulder high in procession goes back to the Ark of the Covenant. If you're not familiar with that, you might want to have a look back on one of my earlier talks of Mary in Scripture, Ark of the Covenant. This is a really fascinating link to the Old Testament of how the Ark of the Covenant was carried shoulder high. Wherever it was carried, great power of God went with the Ark. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is a foreshadowing of the new Ark, which would be Mary. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred thing in the Old Testament. Everywhere it went, the power of God was powerfully expressed. And so in the New Testament, Scripture tells us that Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. And the same idea that the power of God is present. St. Bernadette is patron saint for the sick, for those in poverty, and people who are ridiculed for their piety. If you're sick in Lourdes, you get the VIP treatment. They have a wonderful setup there of volunteers who can go and help with the sick. And they wheel chairs down every night in the procession. The sick are put into the wheelchairs, wrapped up so they're nice and warm, 
and wheeled by volunteers down to the procession, down to the grotto. It's just really beautiful how the sick get priority in Lourdes. Kind of turns the world upside down. The world says if you're not fit, you're not healthy, well, somehow you go to the bottom of the queue. Well, in Lourdes, if you're not well, you go to the front of the queue. One of the things that they have at Lourdes is they have the baths. Now, the baths are of the water that comes from the underground spring. They have a separate men and women section there. And people go, and it's done very dignified and beautifully. You go in, and there are volunteers there who will help the healthy or the sick lower them into the bath of this water and lift them out, say a prayer with them. This is very popular amongst all the pilgrims who go to Lourdes. The water is quite cold, <laughs> but it's very refreshing. And everyone comments how that you get ducked into the water and you step out again and you put your clothes on and you don't feel wet. I'm not quite sure why that's the case. And perhaps it's the properties of this water that I mentioned how it doesn't seem to contain the bacteria but for some reason you just put your clothes on and you don't feel that wet and often you'll hear pilgrims say that they actually feel warm for the an inner warmth so anyway these are things that it's good to go to Lourdes and experience for yourself but it's a beautiful place Lourdes the town itself is very commercialized but once you move into the grotto area, and it's quite a quite a large area, once you move in there, there's no one trying to sell you anything. It's very dignified, very beautiful, and very prayerful. If you're looking for a beautiful place to go to pilgrimage, I can certainly recommend Lourdes. I've been there a number of times, and Lourdes has a very special place in my heart because my own wife was actually healed of an illness in Lourdes. My wife was in a wheelchair and had been for nearly nine years and we went to Lourdes and she literally stepped out of the wheelchair and walked and left the wheelchair against the wall. So you can imagine it has a big impression on my wife and I. Her story is a fascinating story and it deserves more than just a few minutes so I will eventually uh, have her come on the program and we'll probably use the whole time for her to share her story because it really is quite an extraordinary story. But I just mentioned that sometimes I think we can be a little bit cynical about miracles and think they don't really happen today. Well, I can assure you I was an eyewitness to all of this and believe me, um, Mary is just as active and powerful today as she was back in 1858. Bernadette was very humble, and once a nun in her convent asked her if she had temptations of pride because she was favoured by the Blessed Mother. And Bernadette replied, How can I? The Blessed Virgin chose me only because I was the most ignorant in the whole of Lewis. <laughs> it's beautiful to see the, the humility and the simplicity of Bernadette. It's a wonderful example for all of us to what really makes us happy. It's not our, our education, it's not our money, not our power, but it's our love of God and the joy that that love brings us. Bernadette really lived that in her life, that inner joy. So I think we'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much for being with us. But please don't go away. 
because as usual we'll be right back with our guest speaker for today who's going to share something of their faith journey with the Blessed Virgin Mary. So welcome back. Today's special guest is Steve Lawrence. Steve has been married to Annie for 20 years. They have six children between the ages of 6 and 18 years of age. Steve played first grade AFL for Hawthorne for 12 years and in 1991 they were in the Premiership. Steve has a vast experience in education and youth ministry. He was director of Emmanuel School of Mission in Rome for three years. He was the convener of the chaplaincy of Sydney University and most notably he was director of evangelization and catechesis for World Youth Day 2008. Steve is currently a director of faith and mission at Mazenon College in Melbourne and I have him on the line right now. Welcome to the program, Steve. Thanks, Paul. Good to be on. Steve, you've worked in many interesting and fascinating jobs, both within the church and outside of it. Could you share with us, please, some of the ways you have encountered the love of Mary within your work that you've done over the years? Okay, well, I, I guess there's a bit of a pattern for me in terms of um, how I came to be in a lot of my work. I, in fact, I've, I've found that most things I've done, almost everything I've ever done, I didn't set out to do it. In fact, um, for example, when I was playing, when I, a lot of young uh, Victorian boys they want to play AFL for one of the big AFL teams and they the big dream. But for me, I never thought of it at all. And the first time I ever thought of playing AFL football was uh, when I was asked to. And another really other thing, which I know is unusual, but when I was in year 11, um, and uh, it's been similar in a number of other areas uh, like that. And I think... Um, I actually believe it's divine providence that I've been called into different different areas of responsibility. Mm. Uh, and I've seen in that that um, God has called me in a particular way and there's always been a protection and a, gui a guidance with that. And Mary's been very much at the centre of that uh, with, with Jesus. So um, that's a kind of generic thing. I guess in specific, specific examples, I mean, I think uh, the World Youth Day is a classic one. The World Youth Day was a great... Uh, a great opportunity and incredible um, joy for Australia and for Sydney in particular. But it was also an enormous struggle um, and being right there at the, at the heart of things for the whole of three years, it was intensely uh, difficult actually and I found that it was, Mary was very close to me during that time and I felt a great personal presence of Mary constantly holding my hand as uh, I held my rosary beads, and um, always leading me back to Jesus, always um, guiding me to Him and to the Father's love. So, and these are uh, these are a couple of little examples, but I've always felt her presence since the beginning of my conversion when I was 12, all the way through to this day, and uh, she's been very much present in all of my different uh, roles 
both as husband and father and also in my work. Steve, one of the questions I like to always ask our guests, and of course it's, a, it's an important question because Mary leads us to Jesus. So perhaps you could share with us how, for you personally, Mary has helped you discover Jesus on, on a deeper level. Well, when I was 12, my dad uh, came back from a pilgrimage to Fatima. And it was really then that he began to introduce messages of Our Lady of Fatima, um, and in particular the praying of the rosary. So that was really I be- like the beginning of my life of prayer, the beginning of the outset I wasn't particularly interested. But over time I came to discover the beauty of it. And um, so really from the beginning, Mary has been present in my conversion. So for me, from that time, really the rosary has been a very, very important and central way of um, leading me to Jesus. Uh, it's really Mary's way of holding our hand and putting it in the hand of Jesus, but putting our hand in the hand of Jesus. That's, you know, that's how I thought about it. And for many, many years, pondering on the mysteries of Jesus' life and putting our mind and heart and being into the story of the gospel, um, but through and with Mary, I think has been a powerful way and very beautiful way. I remember reading John Paul II saying, you know, the rose is my favourite prayer, marvellous in its simplicity and in its depth. Really, that sums up for me. Mm. Uh, the rose also, um, Annie and I pray together every morning, prayer of consecration to Mary, the prayer written by St. Louis de Montfort, the, the Apostle of Mary, who really articulated a way that God's announced that we come to Jesus through Mary. So I... The consecration has been central, and so too the rosary. I know there are two main ways, and I've lived that. Steve, how important do you think devotion to Mary is within the times we are living? I know we've chatted about this in the past, and I know it's a topic close to your heart, but when we see the world at large where the world is heading, we seem to be drifting more and more into atheism. You know, we've had all the Marian apparitions, particularly in recent years, calling us back to conversion and renewal. How do you see Mary's role, I suppose, as a kind of prophetess heralding the way back to Christ? Well, I think firstly the the answer is very biblical, and that is Mary herself proclaimed her vocation was to magnify the Lord. And really, if you think about a magnifying glass, what does it do? It helps us to see something more clearly, more close up, bigger. And I think... This is what the gospel tells us is Mary's vocation. That is, not to obstruct Jesus, but in fact to help us to see him more clearly, to bring him closer to us. And I think in our times, which are quite unique, because we live in post-Christian times, and because everything since the time of Pentecost was kind of baptized and taken up into Christ, into the church, the church in a certain sense... (laughs) colonized all of human existence, all of culture, everything. In a post-Christian culture, there's almost nothing left. Anything that is atheistic is actually outside of everything. There's only real two choices, and that is Christ or nothingness. And I think certainly there are strong streams of our culture which are heading headlong into nothingness. And so it's a perilous time, I think, People are more and more being made to make drastic choices, which maybe even decades ago were, were less complex, uh, less um, less drastic. So I think, uh, and 
course, God is always on the front foot, always ahead. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always leading us forward. And Mary has been given this crucial task as queen and as mother and as prophet to prepare for the next era, the next the time beyond this where where we move into a, a new era, an era of peace, she proclaims, and an era where new civilization. I think that's a key to understanding this time, and, and without which I think we could be quite easily discouraged, if not fall into despair. How can we possibly go forward? But God has it all in his hands. He knows where he's leading us. He's leading us through the church, through Mother Church, and through the Pope, and through Mary. And the, the two of those kinds of leading are, are very symmetrical and also from the ground up in individuals and communities by the work of the Holy Spirit and preparing us for a new era, a completely different world. So I think we have to be attentive to the prophetic word being given to us uh, and the light. And these, this has been culminating for a couple of centuries through Our Lady's apparition and intensifying incredible ways and uh, so if we keep stay close to Mary, we will see what Jesus is like and what he's giving to us more clearly because she's the magnifying glass. Steve, you've worked mostly with the faith formation of young people over the years. So drawing on your vast experience with young people, is there something you could share with them that could help them to know and love God more deeply on their faith journey? Well, God can be trusted. I was very touched by Pope Benedict's comment at Sydney World Day when he said, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away. In fact, he gives you everything. I think um, often we're afraid of God, and not in a healthy sense, but to sort of stand back under fear. We think, oh, if I give myself, he might ask a lot of me or something like that. And it's true. I think he will ask not only a lot, he will ask everything. But in fact, he will give so much more than anything we could possibly imagine. And I was part of a group of 87 university students that went to World Youth Day in Madrid last year, and we went in the footsteps of John Paul II. And I remember one time speaking to those students and saying, there are probably two prayers that come out of this pilgrimage which summarise the whole of the Christian life. If you remember these two prayers, you probably, you're going to be okay. <laughs> you can really live them, and they one of them is the motto from John Paul II, which was his papal motto, and which was drawn from his whole spirituality of giving himself completely to Mary. That was, Totus to us, I'm all yours, Mary. That was the first one. And the other one is from the Divine Mercy, which Jesus gave to St. Faustina, and which is one of the great prophetic messages of our time. And really the heart of that message is the prayer which we have at the base of that beautiful uh, image of the red and white coming out of the heart of Jesus. And that prayer is, Jesus, I trust in you. So if we can say, Mary, I'm all yours, and Jesus, I trust in you, and really mean it, and no matter what is thrown at us to live that, I think we are on the right track. That's great words, Steve. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I know you have a, a busy schedule, so thank you for taking time out to talk to us. And to all our listeners, I'm sure you enjoyed listening to Steve as much as I did. So thank you, Steve. And to all our listeners, please join us next time 
on our Queen, our Mother, when we look again at the graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. radio.org.au